You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash malicious compliance video. Today we've got a crazy story of someone that was too eager to get someone to sign an agreement. But first, a story from PMC666. HR discovers that subjective rules can be applied subjectively, much to their annoyance. Here's a story from a while ago with malicious compliance on the part of my manager. It was just after 2000, and as I was working in IT, there had been a busy, busy year leading up to the millennium. Now everyone was looking to get back to normal. The company had plans for us and decided to make a third of the IT staff redundant. In my team of 12, this meant four of us. This wasn't really a problem, as even though I had just moved into IT a few years earlier, the job market was booming and getting a new job would be easy. This HR move was a bit of a surprise as we were very busy. Lots of the routine projects had been put on hold, so lots of catching up. But whatever, they knew best. Redundancy with this company offered a month's salary per year of service, way over the legal minimum. They were offering for me a year's salary tax-free, mostly to find a better paying job elsewhere. An offer that would be hard to say no to, but unfortunately they were not going to ask. The way redundancy works for this company in the UK is that all the occupants of the role are ranked by very carefully selected criteria, and the lowest ranked are goners. The way the criteria are selected are to make them very subjective and capable of withstanding any legal challenge that might lead to an industrial tribunal. If there was one thing HR hated above all, it was legal hassles. Criteria would be things like expected to be able to contribute well in other divisions of the company and other such evidence-free bollocks. Why this weird approach from HR? It isn't as daft as it may appear. When trying to reduce headcount, the options in the UK are natural wastage, offering early retirement, offering voluntary redundancy, or having compulsory redundancies. In a team role in IT at this time, what tends to happen is that nobody's old enough to retire, and offering early retirement was actually expensive as it was based on a generous company policy. Offering voluntary redundancy means the deadwood stays, forcing a selection process stops the good people leaving, no redundancy money, and allows getting rid of the poor performers. Or at least that was the plan. Anyway, my manager had been told he was being made redundant, which was a bit of a tactical error. He wasn't really adhering to the company line as strictly as he might have been had the circumstances been different. He gathered us together and asked who wanted to go. Four of us, me included, volunteered. So all was good, and everyone in the team was happy. My manager, maliciously complying with the ranking exercise, duly ranked us by the contrived criteria, but interpreted to our ends and not the company's. These rankings were passed to HR, process were run, runes, scried, oracles consulted, and ultimately decisions made. Lo and behold, the gang of four came bottom of the pack. Because of the extremely subjective nature of the criteria, nobody could prove the rankings were wrong. My manager then let the team know who was staying and who was going, as was right and proper, and we each got bye bye loser or you're still on the board letters from HR. That wasn't the end of it though. 
HR somehow twigged they were being stitched up by my manager. Comparing the people leaving with the people with the highest annual appraisal scores was an exact fit. HR went into recovery mode and tried briefly to revoke the redundancies. This would have been totally legal, except for one thing. It had been announced that we were the bottom of the selection criteria. Continued employment would have been unthinkable as we were declared least competent to do the job, and they still wanted to get rid of one-third. If they had insisted this would have been potentially constructive dismissal, either for the gang of four, in a weird backwards way, this is when the employer makes life untenable for the employee. Such as saying you're rubbish at your job and they want to get rid of you, or if another four were selected, then obviously the process was flawed, and they claim unfair dismissal, company not complying with own processes. Considering the entire rigmarole, particularly the selection criteria ruse, was designed to avoid legal hassles, they were pointed into a corner and had to let the four of us go. So thanks Dave for playing the system so well to get the outcome the employees, and not HR, wanted. Considering the employees who stayed were basically going to be outsourced and their benefits just totally screwed for them, do you blame the manager for helping out the top performers when finding out about this scheme? Would you do the same thing to help out the hardest working people who were going to get screwed over by this HR? Let me know what you guys think in the comments down below. Our next story is from Baldiasur, Vacation Management. I was in my 20s and working as a machine operator in a union shop. I was the only one who could make that machine sing. Others could run it, but kicking out about 40% of what I could. The parts I made were crucial for the end product. I got two weeks of vacation a year, and my foreman was a bit of a jerk. I put in for vacation time in the summer, declined, again at Christmas, declined. Then he told me that I had to use all of it by the end of April, or I would lose it. So, I put in 10 requests for 10 Fridays in a row. He had to approve it as the union rep backed me up. So what happens is that if overtime is required on a weekend, the foreman takes the seniority list on a Friday afternoon and goes down the list until he gets enough people to agree to work Saturday. Sure enough, the first Friday I'm off, he lines up a handful of people, except for me since I wasn't there to be asked. Since I wasn't working Friday, the guy who ran the machine created a small pile of parts. Most of them were used Friday, and they ran out early on Saturday, which brought production to a halt. Monday morning, I get there and there are no parts. Again, the entire production line is stalled until I can kick some parts their way. As soon as I make a batch, there was someone waiting to rush them out to the floor. By Thursday, I'd caught up on the backlog and had a small cushion of parts made. Sure enough, Friday rolls around, they run low, and Saturday they have nothing. The guys who were called in to work overtime on Saturday spent the first part of their shift standing around and doing nothing. Foreman is getting roasted as the production volume's going up and down like a roller coaster. They tried to pin it on me, but the union pointed out that he had denied my vacation and then told me to use it up. Foreman's in the grinder, and I heard through the grapevine that he was looking for a way to get rid of me, and then was told that if he did, then production would be dead slow all the time. That following summer, I put in for vacation, and it was approved immediately. I guess he learned his lesson. I don't know why this guy felt the need to be a hard butt, but if they just work with the best performing workers, give them the vacation time they put in for, and not feel the need to perpetually be a jerk, their performance wouldn't tank. 
You gotta love that they outright considered totally tanking everything by getting rid of OP before ever considering just trying to work with OP. By the way, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily videos. Every single video has awesome stories, like our next story from the Greenskeeper420. Fix this machine at all costs, but don't spend any money? Sure. About five years ago, I found myself as a second shift supervisor at a small manufacturing plant. We had a line of eight machines with four others that could be added to the end of the line with a series of pipes and blowers. It all started when my boss, plant manager, said, I don't really read the report that you send to me at the end of the day. He was trying to get a second, much larger plant running to make our small plant redundant and increase our capacity by around eightfold. So he decided to not even be involved with a small plant. Okay, cool. Well, the company wasn't doing too hot. We had a ton of demand, but the orders were so large that we just didn't have the capacity to fill them. I, along with about five other people, worked eight weeks straight from the beginning of July to the end of August, with only two days off during that eight weeks, and as salaried employee, at $30,000 a year, and not eligible for overtime. I was not a happy camper. With the plant running around the clock, a lot of preventative maintenance was being neglected. I went to the plant manager and said, Hey, if we don't shut down for a day or two and replace the bearings and the rollers in the sixth machine in line, they're going to freeze up and that motor that turns those rollers is going to burn up. He said, just fix it, but don't spend any money. So at the end of the night, I put in my daily report that if the motor burned up, I would ask maintenance to pull an identical motor from one of the machines that were not connected to the current line configuration. And that way we could finish this order and to please respond if you wanted to do something different and cc'd the head of maintenance on the email i never heard back from him so after about a week the bearings froze up and the motor quit working i put my request into maintenance and they pulled the motor off the machine not being used and replaced it to finish a major order the day we were finishing the major order that we'd been working on for months the plant manager walks up to me and the head of maintenance and says you all need to hook those four extra machines up and start on the next order as soon as we get this one out the door Maintenance said and I looked at one another, then back at him and said, Sorry, we can't do that. We don't have a motor to run the last machine. I sent you an email about it a few weeks ago, and you never replied that you wanted to do something different. It's probably around $10,000 for another motor, and we can hook it up tomorrow if you overnight it. Well, plan manager blew a major gasket because we all knew the company was on its last legs. Four days later, the CEO called a mandatory meeting at 4 o'clock on the last day of the pay period and let the entire staff go. I got unemployment and took it easy for a few months before starting my MBA and getting into data analytics. I mean, how neglectful can these people really be? It's just kind of astounding that you send an email covering such important situations and it just gets neglected. I mean, I guess all you can say is it's pretty clear why the whole thing crumbled down to the ground. Our next story is from Fully Half-Baked. You can't badge back in if you haven't badged out. Many years ago, I worked at a company that did phone tech support for a particular piece of well-known business software. After outgrowing the building we'd been in, the company moved to an enormous warehouse building they'd renovated into offices and cube space. The new building had separate parking areas for visitors, of which we basically had none and employees who had to park in the rear. 
As part of the move, they got a new security crew who had very specific ideas about access security. First, the entrances were keyed so that you had to badge in. Use your ID to unlock the door. This included the visitor's entrance. Reception had to unlock the door for visitors. Second, all doors except the front guest entrance and the rear employee's entrance were switched to exits only and didn't have a badge reader to unlock the door from the outside. Third, they forbade anyone from permitting drafting, aka allowing someone else to enter behind you so that you had to badge in to enter. Several people got write-ups for allowing people to come in after them, just to make that point. Fourth, and the reason for the story, you had to badge out to prime your badge so that you could badge in. For fire safety, you could exit any door without badging out, but if you did, you couldn't unlock a door to re-enter and had to walk around to the visitor's entrance to have reception let you in. Because the front and rear entrances were around 500 meters, one-fourth of a mile from each other, it was easy to have to waste 10 minutes getting back in the building if you forgot to badge out and in 100 degree Fahrenheit weather for much of the summer. The explanation we were given was that they needed to know how many people were in the building in case it had to be evacuated. Of course, that information was on computers that were only accessible inside the buildings, so... After the first couple days, during which I and nearly everyone I knew had to lock themselves out at least once, I realized what I had to do. Starting on day three, I'd enter the building, and immediately after getting through the doors, smack my badge against the exit reader to prime it to let me re-enter. Every time a coworker saw me entering the building, they'd ask me what I was doing, which I'd happily explain. Within a couple weeks, I didn't see a single person coming through the doors who didn't swing around and smack their badge against the exit reader. And at the beginning of next month, security sent out an email that they were no longer requiring exit badging. I like to believe that it was my doing, although it's also possible that reception was sick and tired of dealing with having to deal with the lunch return rush and constantly letting the smokers back into the building. Never mess with reception. I don't blame OP or any of their coworkers for doing the exit badging technique, cause let's be real, walking out those doors and then realizing you didn't properly sign out So you gotta walk a quarter mile in 100 degree heat all the way back around to reception sucks. That would definitely be a huge sigh as you start trudging your way on your trek to reception. And our final story of the day is from Maurice. Want a rental agreement? Sure thing. When I went traveling this year and cancelled my home internet, the company said if I don't have a paper proving I'm leaving to go abroad at least a few months, I would have to pay substantial cancellation fees. Said proof could either be a rental agreement, a work contract, or a university enrollment. Since I'm just traveling in different places without settling, I had neither of those. Cue malicious compliance. I figure they probably don't really care. So I took the Wikipedia page for the internet, so it's at least one page long, in Greek, so it's a different alphabet, removed all the Latin characters, DNS, IP, HTTP, put rental agreement in Greek on top, my name randomly in the first paragraph, and signed at the bottom. A few days later, I got an email saying the cancellation fees were waived. I mean, honestly, what OP did here is pretty ingenious. 
Just use the language that almost is guaranteed nobody actually reads there. They're not going to be able to verify, and if they did, they would probably just try to use some Google Translate. It obviously wouldn't work, and they'd be like, ah, whatever, looks good to me. Sign off on that, Bob. Did OP just rent out the internet? But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another malicious compliance story that was even more insane than the ones in this video, click on that left video. Or if you missed my latest video, click on the right. But with that said, I'll see you all next time for some more stories. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 